All right, that was that was a good song, um, <laughs> and uh, by one of my favorite singers, I'll add that my absolute favorite singer, that right there. Um, she's my my favorite, so I can say that. All right. Well, it's good to be here today. How many of you? Uh, how many had a good morning? Everybody, everybody woke up and just popped out of bed and said, "Amen! It's a great day to serve the Lord." Anybody in that boat? Because I was not. <laughs> I did something to my back yesterday, and uh, my back's been acting weird the past couple days. And, and then yesterday, I was, I was doing some stuff, and then I went to, I went to, I simply bent over to plug in my phone to make sure it would be charged that day, and and something in my back over on this side went, and I, I went down. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I almost completely ceased to function yesterday. I was just, I was walking around, oh, and uh, we went to a, a family birthday party and stuff, and I just sat in one chair, and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Just, just don't talk to me. Uh, Chloe kept coming up, jumping in my lap, and like, yay, Dad. I'm like, no, please don't. And uh, so yesterday, last night, I'm just lying in bed, one, just, just like this. And I'm like, okay, I want to roll over. Nope, that ain't going to happen. So, But uh, it's, it's subsided a little bit. My, my wife put this thing on my back that electrocutes me or something, and that made it feel a little bit better. And, but I'm here, and it's, it was one of those mornings where it's like, ah, oh, I'm not sure if I can make it. And then I was like, oh, I'm supposed to preach today. Uh, if, the, if the preacher can't miss the service because his back is hurting, you should be in your spot, even if... Even if, uh, I know, and then I got to thinking, how many times does Pastor Reno get up here and he says, oh, I'm not feeling well, and this isn't, and he gets up and he preaches faithfully, and so I'm, I'm thankful in that moment to realize what an awesome pastor we have, and, uh, and oftentimes we, we, we don't take into full account when he says he's not feeling well, a lot of times he's really not feeling well, but he gets up here and he preaches, and so uh, just me having a little bit of back pain ain't gonna, ain't gonna stop this show, so. All right, well, I'm glad you're here, and I hope your day, I really genuinely hope your day was much better than mine so far. Uh, my kids were just, were just going crazy this morning. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of the, he did this, she did that, and then I hear, you know, we, we leave the room, and then we hear a whack. And, ah, it's, there's a lot of that going on this morning, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, it's always an adventure at the Goodman household, but uh, to every Sunday morning, it's, it, it just gets a little extra, you know, it just, it just happens that way, so... But uh, they actually, all my kids got up fairly early, got dressed, got ready. We got here early and on time, and so that was, that was an awesome thing. But I would like to invite you to grab your Bibles and open them up to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be, and uh, originally I was slated to be in children's church this morning, and uh, I think Brother Reed took off to go pre- uh, teach the kids back there uh, to fill in for me, because uh, preacher's away. And so... Uh, this was not what I was going to be teaching the, the, the little kids. I'll just throw that out at the beginning. Uh, though, when you read the first verse, you'd wonder <laughs> if this was meant for the little kids. But we're going to start in, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, this is not meant for the little kids. This is meant for all of us. But it goes on to say in verse 2, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. That, the, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that, have, uh, that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And then verse 9, and ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, forbearing threatenings, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. All right. And we're going to stop right there. And this whole, this whole opening, uh, there's one continuating thought in this, and that, that is obedience. And we know that the, the Bible is written uh, to us. We know that all these things are written for our admonition, our learning for us to grow closer to God. But uh, there's lots of things in the Bible that weren't originally there. Okay? There's some people are like, what? Okay, chapter breakdowns, verse breakdowns. Those weren't originally in the Bible. Those were added later on so that we can easily find and reference spots in the Bible. So the continuating thought in chapter 6 was started in chapter 5. And if we look at the tail end of chapter 5, we would see that uh, Paul starts addressing, at the church of Ephesus, he's addressing husbands and wives and being obedient and reverent and loving one another and that wives should submit themselves and reverence their husbands and that husbands should love their wives and, uh, and, and be obedient unto them. And it was a great picture of Christ and the church and and all these things, and this adds unto, so you have the relationship between the husband and the wife, then you have the kids, and then it goes out from beyond that to, 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 to the parents, but also to servants and masters. And the overlaying thought here is, is obedience and reverence in this. And God calls us to be obedient servants. God wants us to be obedient in the way that we live our lives. God wants us to be obedient to Him, but not just to Him. God wants us to be obedient to one another. And we see, as we get into the, the, the later verses, down towards uh, verses uh, uh, 5 through 9, talking about servants being obedient to the masters. And masters, to in, in like manner, it says, ye masters do the same thing, that they're to be obedient unto others. And so obedience is a, is a huge part of the Christian life. Obedience is, is one of the key elements as a Christian. It's, it's critical in our marriages. It's critical as a child growing up to be obedient to your parents. And uh, we're to be obedient to one another to help build each other up. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron, so sharpeneth a man the countenance of his friend. We're to build each other up. We're to help each other out as we're going through the daily life that we live to be a good witness and testimony for Christ. Obedience is key to that. And also we see, uh, if we were to reference in, in chapter 5, the love and the respect and the reverence that we're to give one another. Uh, I know it, it directly references that wives are to love and reverence their husbands, but it says that husbands are to love their wives, even as their own selves. And if they're to uh, be reverenced and respected from their wives, that in, there's, there's some circular reasoning there that the husband should give that same service to the wife. And all of this is pictured in our relationship with Christ, our relationship as a church to Christ. And so obedience is a huge part. And Paul starts out in this area just focusing on obedience. And where he goes with this message of obedience from kids all the way to masters and servants is that we are to be good Christians, good servants, and to be obedient in the sense that not just to each other. You have to remember, Paul, Paul had letters that he had written uh, in telling servants to be obedient to their masters 
and their masters weren't saved people. Not every, not every child that's told to be obedient to their parents has saved parents. Not every servant has, uh, we, we, not every, uh, there are employers in here and they don't all have saved employees. But the idea that we're to be obedient to one another, we're not to, uh, we look at verse 9, it says, let me get there, uh, forbearing, threatening, uh, we're, to be, we're to be kind, we're to be gentle, we're to be, and we could look at the fruits of the Spirit to be meek, temperate in all things. We could look at those and cross-reference here and, and, and look at the obedience factor. But what, what all of this adds up to, and this is the, the culmination in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and there's a lot of things he said to him, but it, it culminates with he goes into the picture of the family and how that re- relates to Christ and the church and our relationship with God and our unity as a church body. And then he brings it all around to uh, point number two in my message, which is uh, being a soldier, having a close relationship with him. Now, the way Paul, and if you think being a soldier just means standing up and being ready for battle, if we dive into what he's going to tell us here, it's more about our preparation and our relationship with Christ more than it is about fighting the devil. Okay? And, and before, before I go into all this, we, we are to, we're to help each other. We're to work together. We're to, uh, as the church theme, striving together. We're to be one body, fitly joined together. If we were to look in previous years and... This is not something we do individually. We're supposed to be doing all of these steps that we're going to be talking about in just a minute uh, together. We have to do it at an individual basis, but the idea is that we're sharpening one another. We're building up one another, that we're bearing one another's burdens, that by me standing in the place that I ought to be, that I can encourage the brother that's next to me or the sister that's on this side to stand strong in Christ. And that's what we're getting at. And I, I, I think back to the messages that preachers have been preaching lately about, uh, you know, the, the phrases, the darker the night, the brighter the light, and that we're to be a light, we're to be salt in this world. And, and it's getting darker. Washington State is, is, is um, every morning, I think I go, I go, to, I go to work, and uh, I think I go to work. <laughs> but... Uh, I, on my way to work, I, I'll turn on the radio and I listen to I'll listen to different things, talk radio. If that gets a little de- de- little bit depressing, I'll turn on my my Bible app and I just let that play as I'm driving. But uh, how many times do I hear about the laws that are being passed in Washington, the the rampant drug and homeless problems that we see? And, and mind you, a lot of the homeless problems are effects of a drug problem, which in turn comes from a denying of who we are and what we mean to Christ and denying godliness in our society. A lot of that stems from Christians just not standing. And we're going to talk about that. But, but I mean, there's, there's state bills going in Washington State, and we talk about children's, uh, children uh, obe- obeying their parents and honoring their parents, but there's bills coming through that if a, if a, if a child decides that he's uh, a different gender, he can run away from home and hide in a state shelter in a shelter, and the state will hide that child from the parents so that they can get gender-affirming gender care. And there's, there's all sorts of implications because now they're looking at, well, can people from other states flee? Can children from other states flee to Washington State and hide in Washington State? And Washington State will, in essence, hide these kids from their parents. And, 
and they're looking at all that. And there's things going on, and a lot of times Christians uh, are completely uh, dead and drowned out to what's going on. The Bible says we are in the world, we're not of the world, but we're in it. And we're to stand for truth and right. We're to stand for the gospel. We're to stand for God. And oftentimes we, we're oblivious. We come to church on Sunday mornings. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I'm not going to say that, I've, that I'm, 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 I'm the reigning example of this. I, I get tired. I get worn out. I, you know, I, I get hurt. I, I don't want to stand up for truth and right every single day. I'm, I'll be honest. But that doesn't stop the commands in the Bible from being present and being true. So if we read on, we'll go into verse 10. Finally, so this is him kind of wrapping up the letter here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Just reading through that verse right there, it's like, yeah, I can see all that all around us every single day. We talk about corruption. We talk about problems in the government. We talk about problems all over the world, wars and all this, all this uh, insanity going on. And then we read on verse, uh, verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. There's many, many times the Bible will, will liken us to soldiers will liken us to a warrior, will liken us to a man clad in armor, standing for truth and right. But one thing that it does not tell us to do is it doesn't give us commands to go into forward assault mode. We're not charging the lines. We're not pushing forward. That's not what we're told to do. In every single circumstance, it comes down to stand. We're simply told to stand. And we're going we're gonna to get more into this, but stand. And it, we look at, into this passage and it says, stand in the evil day. Stand in one place. And we can see, and like, I was studying that evil day. That, that sounds specific, right? Evil day. And, and, and of course, um, there was a couple different going, and I'm jumping back into the Greek roots and all this type of stuff. And I, was, I felt like I was back in Bible college for two seconds there, you know. But uh, talking about... In evil, it's not just, it's talking about the devil, it's talking about, um, we can look at that, but talking about promiscuity, wickedness, corruption, idolatry, talking about all that in the evil day. And looking at that sense day is daylight. While we're here, the Bible says that, that Christ is the light of the world. First John, or John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And as long as there is a Christian on this earth who lives and breathes and has breath in his lungs, that means the light of the world is still present. Okay, As long as Christ is on this earth, it, we're standing in an evil day because the light is still shining. So this command to stand against the wiles of the devil in the evil day, as long as you're drawing breath, you're standing. You're standing for Christ. As long as you are a saved, born-again Christian, you are standing for Christ. So let's look at the regiment of a soldier. The first thing is, is a command to be prepared. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and he wrote, 
Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus and in the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Again, not telling him to attack, not telling him to charge forward, but to endure, to stand. And there's that command to stand in the evil day, but also to stand in one place. If we look at James, James chapter 4, and verses 1 through 8, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill, ye desire to have, ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it on your own lusts. Upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth us more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It simply says to resist the devil. It doesn't mean that we should go pressing on. And a lot of the problems that we find in our lives are oftentimes our own faults. Okay? We can, when I read through the, the, the verses 1 through 8, but all the way through 1 through 7, it's just talking about how we're... We, we strive for things, we want things, we ask God for things, we ask amiss, we just want to consume those things on our list. We're not perfect people. I definitely am not. Anybody in here perfect? I'd like to have you come sign my Bible afterwards if you are. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. We all mess up. We all fall short. We, uh, just time and time again, there's so many things. I'm like, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a stand here, and, and, and I fall short. And I stop and I think about times when I was at, at camp, uh, senior camp growing up. And our teenagers getting ready to go to camp. And I encourage you, if, you, if, you, if you're not sending your teens to camp, get them to get, go to camp. Um, it's, it's good for them. Um, and I made, a lot of, I made a lot of good decisions at camp. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I am standing, I would not be standing in this pulpit right now if it weren't for the times I went to camp. I got saved at camp, July 23rd, 2003. I got saved at camp. Okay? Camp's important. Um, but it's not necessarily camp. It's the time that we spent in God's Word. And it was the time that we opened up God's Word and I made decisions. And I, and I got saved at camp. I surrendered to preach at camp. I made all sorts of good decisions. I made decisions that, to this day, I look back and I say, did I keep that one? Did I keep that promise I made to God? And, and sometimes I reevaluate my life and I go back and I said, you know what? I'll be reading a spot in the Bible. And I'll, oh, I remember. And some of my, uh, one of my older Bibles, I can see a lot of the, the messages that I took notes on in my Bible and, and things. And, and I'll flip to the back where I took the notes and I'll find a reference. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, I, and then there's the promise that I made. I'm like, oh, no. But I made that promise. And I'm like, I haven't been keeping that promise. And in studying for this and, in, and just going through my old Bible and seeing things, there's, there's a couple things I'm like, I need, to, I, need to, I need to get back on that promise. I might have failed up to now, but I, that doesn't mean that the promise is invalid, that the things I said to God, the things that I promised are completely invalid, and I need to go back and maintain those vows that I made to God. Okay? 
And a lot of those, a lot of those promises, had I, had I stuck with them, I would have gone through a, a lot less pain and grief in my life. Uh, I, there, there's been a lot of times I would have not been in, in fighting with my siblings. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been uh, uh, dealing with all those things. But keeping our promises, keeping our, to stand in one place, uh, th- that all pours into one thought. God tells us to stand. Notice when I read that, it said resist the devil. It doesn't say to fight him. And I, I remember a great, a great message I was listening to one time from, from Dr. Gibbs talking about resisting the devil. And, and he didn't say that we're, to, we're to, to, to raise up our arms and fight against the devil. The Bible says that we're simply, if we look through every reference in there, we're just to stand. As a good soldier, stand. Rank and file with those among, with the saved body of believers among us. To stand rank and file in the, in the evil day. To stand against the devil. To stand against the wiles of the devil. Just stand. But who does all the fighting? If you ever went to, if you ever were to observe a battlefield, and, and one of the best pictures of this would be uh, during the time of like the Revolutionary War, even the Civil War, where the armies would line up, just stand there, and then shoot at each other. You talk about crazy. Um, I remember, I, I cannot recall off the top of my head, but obedience that it would take, the obedience of that soldier to stand look down across that field and know that one of those muskets has a musket ball in it, probably with his name written on it. And that would be met for many, many soldiers. That battle would be their last. But they stood there because they were a good soldier and obedient. I remember reading about uh, there was a particular city that while uh, um, Alexander the Great was marching across uh, taking territory, there was one particular city that was heavily defended and on the edge of a cliff. And I, uh, this, this is all just coming back to me right now. If I had to come find me afterwards, I'll find the, the name of the city. I'll look all that stuff up. But in the, in, the, in the particular book I was reading, and the way that Alexander the Great captured this city, he didn't send his troops to go fight the city. He didn't do any of that. He simply called his army. He took an entire... Uh, a large group of his army, hundreds of, hundreds of soldiers. And like I said, this particular city was on the edge of a cliff. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it was close to 500 soldiers. And all he did was he told them to walk, single, not single file, but in, in rank and file. And he marched them to the cliff and had them walk off the cliff and kill themselves. And that city surrendered. Because those were obedient soldiers. The, 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 as the book would go on to say that the, the, the leadership of that city knew that if Alexander the Great's soldiers were that dedicated that they would just walk off, not fighting in a battle, just walk off a cliff to their death because their commander told them to, that there was no hope of them standing against his army. And so to save the lives of their, their citizens and the lives of their soldiers, they surrendered the city. Those are obedient soldiers. Without question, our commander says, do this, let's do it. That's dedication. That's preparedness. Um, the Bible says that we're to know Christ. Uh, I love that song that my wife sang, that every day that we're to commune with God, every day that God has a special place that he wants me to commune with him, that he wants me to grow closer to him. It made me think of the time when, uh, in the Bible where God would walk with Enoch. Every day, Enoch would spend time with God. 
Enoch didn't die. The Bible just says that one day God took him. And Enoch was not, for God took him. And I love the old adage that one day, one day Enoch and God were just walking through the day and, and they were going through and God, you want to talk about somebody that I think was obedient to God, I think Enoch was right at the top of the list. And he's just spending time with God, which by the way, we're, we're told to spend time with God, to commune with God, to pray. Those are things that we are told to do and I think Enoch was doing that. And he was communing with God one day and, and, and I think the day was growing late and and, uh, and, and Enoch said, oh, the sun's going down, God. I think I'm, gonna, I'm getting tired. I'm going to have to go to bed. And, and God simply looked at Enoch and said, you know what? We're closer to my home now. Why don't you just come home with me? And so Enoch just walked and spent the rest of the day with God and just walked into heaven. I, I, you know, it doesn't say that that's specifically how it went down in the Bible, but that's the way I like to think it happened. One day, Enoch was just closer to God's house than he was to his earthly home, so he just followed God home that day. Obedience. We can't be good, obedient soldiers. We can't be good, obedient Christians if we're not close to God. The Bible says that we're to study every single day, that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there is the command to stand. But next thing it pours into is the armor. Now you're talking about armor, you're, you're talking about a battle, right? You're talking about preparing for a battle. So let's look at verse, um, I didn't mark the verses in my, in my notes. Okay, starting in verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. The Bible says a lot about truth. The Bible says that we're to walk in truth, that we're to, be, uh, that we're to tell the truth, that we're to be honest at all times. Uh, the Bible says, uh, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible is truth, and we know this. And we're to hold truth at the forefront of our conversations. My wife and I got into a, a little bit of a, a, a thing the other day. And, uh, and my wife, she, I, I tell a lot of stories. I embellish things a lot, okay? I, I do. And my wife and I got into it. She was telling me that when I embellish, I'm lying. And I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but that's kind of what she got it. And, and so we got into it. My ego came in, and I, I was being prideful, and we, I got upset. And, but there was a lot of this that goes into it. But was she lying? Was she, was, is, is embellishing uh, not telling the truth? Yeah, embellishing is lying to a degree, okay? Um, and so, you know, there's things that I, and I, I take that criticism, I take that, and I'm trying to grow, okay? Um, but, but that all came down to some of the things that, some of the stories and some of the ways I tell things. And, and so I, I took that criticism, and I'm trying to grow, because truth is important. And I was thinking about this message already, but that, that all happened, so that didn't, that didn't help. So, uh, But truth is important. It's important to the Christians. Uh, the Bible says that the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. We find that uh, in the Bible. It says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse uh, 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, the great mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And the church's, the church's message is the gospel. And as a soldier, our, our job is to be girded up with truth. That, that is to be an innate part of us, 
the truth. And we're to do it without confusion. The Bible says, let all things be done decently in order in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so we see a lot of confusion in our world. We see a lot of problems. We see a lot of issues. Uh, for goodness sakes, a lot of people can't figure out what is a woman. And uh, that seems to be a big thing nowadays. Uh, God didn't make it that way. God made things decently and in order. There's a, there's a process and a plan for everything that God has made. Okay? But next thing we see, the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness. By the way, we're saved by God's righteousness. Okay? Uh, but it says in verse... It says in verse uh, 13, uh, nope, I'm in Philippians, that's why. Let me go back over to here. <laughs> All right, so 14, uh, and having the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, it's God's righteousness that saves us. And I've got lots of extra verses in here. Uh, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, uh, it would go on to say that our righteousness is as filthy rags, but we are all unclean, unclean things, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. In Romans chapter 3 and verses 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified by His grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His, His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It's God's righteousness that we can have salvation. So we're to put that breastplate of righteousness on, and that is a constant reminder that we are bought, we are paid for with a price, that God's righteousness covers us. It's not my righteousness. When I stand before God, God's not going to look down and see my sin, my guilt, my vain attempts at trying to obtain favor. God's going to see Christ's righteousness. He's going to see the blood of Christ. So we're to put on that. We're to remember every single day as we put on the breastplate of righteousness that we are saved. We look at the next verse, it says, feet shod with the gospel. Let's see. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why is it going on our feet? Why do we put our feet, the gospel of peace, shod on our feet? That's kind of weird. There's a reason for that. The gospel of peace is on our feet because our job as a Christian, uh, we're to stand against the devil, but we're to go and tell the unsaved world. Okay? Go and tell. Oh, Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall, they, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The Bible says if you're out preaching the gospel, if you're out witnessing to people, you got beautiful feet. It's right there in the Bible. Look down and say, ooh, those are nice. So wake up every morning. If you're out being a Christian the way that we ought to be, you could wake up every morning. You could, you could think you have the ugliest looking feet, but the Bible says they're beautiful. And you just wake up every morning and go, oh, man, those are nice feet. Man, whoo. I'm just saying, it's right there, clear as day. I'm just, I taught, a, I taught a lesson to the teens one time about beautiful feet and talking about that passage. You're, you're supposed to have beautiful feet, okay? Uh, Luke 14, 23. And the Lord said unto his servants, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is our job as Christians in a daily preparation to put the gospel, the, uh, the, to shod our feet, 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And every single day endeavor. But it goes on to say the shield of faith would be the next one. Shield of faith. The shield is an offensive and defensive weapon. But in this particular circumstance, we see it more in the offensive sense. But, uh, I mean, I could talk about the, the purpose of, and if we look at the time of Paul when he was writing this, he was in the midst of the Roman Empire and the several different shields that the Roman legionnaires would use. We could talk about all that, but uh, we're to use that shield to stand. That is our faith. Our faith is our shield. Our faith is placed in God. When you stop and think about it, our faith in God is our protection from this world. It's, it says right there in verse uh, 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Every single day, the devil, the, the, this wicked, evil world is going to shoot fiery darts to bring doubt in our lives, to bring confusion, to, bring, to make us question the truth, to make us stumble, to make us fall. And it's God, our faith in God that protects us, our shield of faith. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for, uh, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith. Uh, we look in Matthew where Jesus told him, with the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to be cast forth into the ocean. It would happen. Faith is a, is, is a great tool. And our faith is placed in God. And our faith is placed in the hope of heaven. Our faith is placed in Christ. And we have to take up that faith every single day and remember who our faith is in. Because when we wake up every single morning, we're to remember that we're a bought, born-again Christian. Put on the truth. Remember we're wearing that breastplate of righteousness. Get our feet ready with the, with the preparation of the gospel. I'm going to go out. God's giving me another day. It's time to go preach. And then we grab that shield of faith because, you know what, it's not easy. The Bible says that those that will live godly shall suffer persecution. And that shield of faith is one of the things that we combat those fiery darts and say, you know what, the world can say what they want. The world can do what they want. They can throw these fiery darts, but I got my shield of faith. Just going to go about my day. And it builds. They keep building. Next thing we see, we see the helmet. Uh, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, a constant reminder that we are bought again. That we are born, purchased by God. If we were to look, and, and this, is, this is a great uh, looking at how the Romans would command their troops. The helmet communicated a lot. Everybody, you've seen those hel the legionary helmets with the big red swoosh. The red mohawk on top. And then there's some that had it going this way. And then some people didn't have it at all. But what every Roman soldier's helmet would have was an insignia on it. And that insignia would tell them where that troop belonged. And if you found one soldier wearing the wrong insignia over there, that was a problem. And every day we're to put on that helmet of salvation and it should be written right there on our forehead what our job is, who owns us and where we belong. And that is to be clearly communicated to the world right on our forehead. When you talk to somebody, the first thing that is commonly looked at is the face. You don't walk up to somebody, look at their shoes and say, hey, how's it going? It's nice to meet you. Okay. When you meet somebody, the, the thing that people are drawn to the most is, is your face. And if you're wearing a helmet of salvation, when people see you, that should be forefront right there. O owned by Jesus right there. 
stamped on your forehead. Okay. Um, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence when it talks about the mark of the beast being stamped on their forehead because it's showing who they belong to. Okay, because the helmet of salvation is something we put on, and it is to let others know that we belong to somebody. We belong in a certain place. Okay, the helmet of salvation. And we can talk, and, and in referencing what preachers talked about in the past couple of weeks, that we are to be light in a present world of darkness. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That helmet, that, that helmet of salvation is a lighthouse to this world. And we're to put it on every single day and remember that I am saved and I am a witness for Christ. And then lastly, in this, in this preparation, and these are things that we should be doing every single day. Finally, finally, every day. Let's... let's be an obedient Christian and, and suit up. It says, finally, and take up the helmet of salvation, which is the, uh, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every day. I, I was going to grab an actual sword and bring it up here with me, but uh, I forgot to bring it. And then I, anyhow. But uh, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, the sword is an important tool. For a soldier, the sword was their, their life. That was, the, how they, that was their offensive tool. In many different cultures, in many different uh, uh, even fan fictions, uh, you can look at the sword, that offensive weapon, was communicated as their life. That was communicated as an, an extension of their being to protect themselves, but also to, to fight with. And this is a great picture. Those, the, our word of God is, the word of God is our weapon. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 412 that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart but all coming down to when we fight a godly warfare it's not us that's fighting we open up the word of God and we say thus saith the Lord and God's going to fight God's going to do the warfare God's going to do win the victory we just stand in place and say okay God it's up to you we're to stand. And we're to, we're to have that sword in hand. I mean, we, I talked about it was to be an extension of their body. Uh, the idea is that you have that word of God. And you have to remember that most Christians back then did not have a printed Bible. They didn't have this with them. They were to, a lot of times it was, it was that they needed to know it. They had to have it memorized. In Jewish culture, it was not uncommon for uh, them to have, have pieces of Scripture attached to their body to remind them of certain things. But we have the Bible with us, and, and if, we're, if we're to take this, every single day it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're to have that with us. You would draw a lot of attention if you walked into work every single day with the Bible. Do, 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 do. Draw a lot of attention. You know? We're to have it with us. We expect, we ex and, and, and it should be a visible thing. How many of you can open up your phone and you got a Bible app? Everybody in here is like, oh, I got the Bible with me. It doesn't need, I can just keep it in my pocket and nobody needs to see it. And, and it, we live our lives like we're ashamed to have a Bible with us. I remember one time, and this was a commitment I made while I was at Bible college, or not Bible college, at, at, at camp, that I was going to carry my Bible with me. That I was going to be a witness and I would carry my Bible with me. 
And so I started doing that. I would carry my Bible. I had my backpack at school, and I was in high school, and I had my Bible with me. I, I'd go to class. And it was, a, it was a smaller little compact Bible, so, you know, so if I had to put it in my pocket or something like that, I could. But I, I would, my goal was to have it out at any time. And I remember I was sitting in German class one time. And uh, I had it sitting on the table in front of me. And my German teacher, he's teaching away, and he's, he thought it was a calculator. And so he picked it up, he starts talking about, and he's teaching us German words and stuff, and he's using the word calculator. I said, that's not a calculator, that's a bi-. And he went, like it was something, it's a whole. It affected him. The Bible affects people. Just knowing that they're around affects people. I've, I've, I've made an attempt in my office at work to have, to have scriptures up, to have references to God, to have my Bible out. I have a stack of tracts on my desk. Somebody says, hey, I'm looking for a church. I'm like, I know a great one right here. You should check that out. Um, that's my goal. But to, to, to have that word of God in my hand every single day. But that goes into the last point. We prepare every single day. This is our, this is our job. Prepare for battle every single day. We get all ready, but it was already told to us before we got ready for battle that once we're ready, we're just to stand, stand in place. By the way, you're not standing alone. It's like almost a battle theme right there. That was good. <laughs> all right. We're not to stand alone. We're to stand together. I was just a, it makes me think of like in the movies at the end where there's that big battle thing and everybody's, ah, they go running across the battlefield. So we don't do that. We just stand there and watch God do all the work. By the way, someday we'll, we'll stand. If you're saved and born again, you're going to stand with a host in heaven one day and God's going to open up the sky and he's going to come back to this earth and this time he's not coming in peace like he did the first time and we will be uh, warriors among the saints. And you know how much fighting we do? None. We just stand there and look cool <laughs> and let God do all the work. It's like, amen, Awesome. Practice now. Stand. You, you do your job. You, you preach the gospel. You tell other people. But in doing so, you stand and you say, I'm not going to move. No matter what the world says, I'm not going to move. I'm, I've, drawn, I've taken the time to prepare my heart. I've taken the time to spend time with God. I know where I ought to stand and I will not be moved. I'm going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I'm not going to move. When the world says you're wrong, you look at them and say, no, I'm right. I will not move. You move. God told me to stand right here. I ain't moving. That's how we're to live. And, and I'll be the first one to say it. I don't do it every single day. And, and, but that's the thing. We, if, we, if you fail today, you look at tomorrow and say, okay, yesterday wasn't so, I, I, I didn't do the job I should have done. I, didn't, I wasn't quite the Christian I should have been. But it's a new day and I can put on the armor once again and I can stand where I should and or, or I can go back to where I was and I should be able to look to the brothers and sisters in Christ I have around me, my comrades in arms and say, okay, I wasn't there yesterday, but I'm here today. And we're to help each other out. But again, point number three, we rely on the Spirit. We get all ready for battle. And then in verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto unto all perseverance with supplication for all saints. The goal is that we're praying to Christ. The Bible says, 
In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy was set before uh, him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the, uh, the throne of God. We look to Christ. We look to God. We let God do the fighting. We let God do all those things, and we pray. We pray for those who are above us. We pray for those around us. We, we pray that God would help, our, help our, 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 our fellow Christians every single day. That's our job. Looking at verse 19. For all that is, for all, and for me, this is Paul speaking, pray for me, and that the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make every, to make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We're to pray for those that, that are kind of ruling over us, like Pastor Reno. We're to pray for him. We, 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 Make mention of him every single time we gather in this house. If he is not here, we pray for him, as we should. We should pray for each other. And the Bible, and one of the reasons we pray for pastors, he's, he's, he's our pastor. He sets a lot of the guidelines. He's the faith that we follow. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Remember to, uh, them which have the rule over you, or are in place over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow concerning the end of their conversation. Pastorino lives a life... And he strives to serve God and he sets a good example. And when we see that example, we should say, I want to live a, a life that uh, is going to be pleasing to Christ and follow after that example. And by the way, Pastorino doesn't just, let, he's not some trailblazer out there going, oh, there's the, I read the Bible and it tells me. No, he sets the example of Christians that have gone on before. And a lot of times, I, and just studying in this, and there's lots of places I wanted to go about uh, the old paths and the landmarks and re- remembering those who have gone before. And I, I, I settled in on the things that we need to do every single day. Yeah, we, we follow those that have gone before, but today we have to remember that we are born again. We have to gird ourselves up and be obedient. Remember, you can't, you can't do all the steps. They're in order. Obedience was the first thing he talked about. You got to be obedient. Obedient into salvation, obedient unto Christ, obedient in our, in our daily lives unto each other. Get ready for battle. But again, remember, it's not us that's doing the fighting. We got to pray. We got to be on our knees. We got to be communing with God every single day. And when we do that, and we're a good witness, we're a good testimony, we do the things that God asks us to do, we could see God do some great and mighty things. We could, we could see, uh, it was just a handful of guys at first at the day of Pentecost. And then eventually the Bible would say that they would be standing before a, cro- a crowd and, and, and people would say, uh, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. There's a great quote. It's the, the men and women who have changed this world are the men and women that the world could not change. If we want to be an impact, if we want to be salt, we want to be light, we want to be, uh, we want to be what God wants us to be in this town, in Washington. If we want Washington State to be a great place uh, for Christ, it starts at home. It starts in our, in our houses. It starts with husbands and wives uh, being obedient and loving one another and looking to Christ. It starts with kids looking to their parents and just it starts there and works its way forward. But you got to start at home. And preparing yourself daily. And that's a reminder that I've been looking at every single day, uh, trying to remember who I need to be, where I need to be, and, and who I'm doing it for. And that's for Christ. So thank you so much for being here.
And I hope you take this challenge that we would strive to know God more by preparing for battle every single day, by knowing who He is and what He's done for us. So let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for every blessing you give to us, for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins, for giving us a home in heaven, for giving us a commission to follow, for allowing us to stand in the evil day, Lord. You could have chose the rocks to cry out, but instead you chose Christians to stand strong. And I pray that you'd help us to always keep that in the forefront of our mind, that we, that we represent you. We're ambassadors. We're soldiers. Lord, we're to serve you with our whole hearts. We're to be obedient unto your calling. And we love you. We praise you for all that you do. And I pray that, you, that would be the desire of everyone's heart here. In your son's holy and precious name, amen.